This is the Winning in Winnipeg podcast, where we talk to top performing business owners, executives, entrepreneurs, and local Winnipeg celebrities. We get to learn who they are, how they think, and we get to hear their perspective about what's really going on in Winnipeg and their businesses. Today, I have the one and only Daniel Nord. Dan is a certified financial planner and the owner of Madison Financial Services, Inc. He graduated from the Asper School of Business in 2003 with honors, I may add, with a business degree in actuarial mathematics, which makes him the smartest person in this room. Not only smart, but a great communicator, which allowed him to become an instructor at the Asper School of Business, uh, teaching a third-year personal financial planning course. Dan first dominated in sports, then moved to professional poker, and then opened up his own business with his mother, Pat, here in Winnipeg. I could keep going on about Dan, but I'm going to let you tell your own story and uh, we'll start jumping into the rest here. But uh, well, it's, it's humbling to be here. It's it's humbling to um, for you to want me to be here and uh, that anybody would want to hear anything I have to say is is humbling. I guess this doesn't mean that anybody listens to the podcast just because we make it, but yeah, there's, there, there's 26,000 people on YouTube okay. that get access to this. There are subscribers to the channel. However, three of them watch it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Well, it, it is humbling, right? Like I don't like to think that I have anything exceptional to share, but I do like to share. I do like to help. I do like to give. And, um, you know, I suppose the only way we can do that is by, by sharing some sort of communication with people. So, I beg to differ. It's good to be here. (laughs) You have an incredible amount to share. You have a crazy um, journey. You've done a lot of actually really cool things from like that have just been all over the map. Like you are all over the map. When I first met you, um, when I got to know you, it it was like everybody, there was a lore around your name. Like everyone kind of knew you or knew of you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's winnipeg's a small place you gotta it, say you gotta it's be, you a gotta big be, small place yeah i'm not too careful but you gotta make sure you're staying in line with your truth you know that's true and that's that's interesting growing up in a in a town or in a city where you not only grow up you go to school like you make mistakes and then you know you're you're yeah, getting into the business cell phones, world you know? that's right yeah that's probably what saved most of us <laughs> At this age, <laughs> sure. right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like those kids now, oh my God. That's I gotta mean, be. Yeah, it would have been probably more adversity. I, I imagine it would have been more quite horrible. Um, you know, when you think about some of the things you did as a, as a teenager, even just having fun with your friends. And, um, you know, and so I, I do think that that would have been made things tougher for, for somebody that age. But then what we know is those types of challenges can create adversity. So would you actually say maybe there's something good to come from that? I, I think they, I think kids now, they just figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. Right. Like that's their, that's their normal. Yeah. If you throw us old fogies into there, then we're like, ah, they're going to record me for everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like we just don't know how to handle it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So like heading back, you have, um, you've opened up your own, you run your own financial services company. Let's jump into that as far as like, can you explain what financial services are? Is it a broad term? Like, is it, are there so many things under one umbrella and then you specialize in one thing? For sure. I mean, finance itself is multifaceted 
and um, there's all kind of components that you could be an expert on or um, teach people. Uh, I, I feel almost every financial planner is different in their own way. And we all will probably start off the same with, um, you know, I want to help people with finance and I like investments or I like insurance. And uh, so I want to do something I like and I want to try to leverage this skill set and either help people or make an income. Right. For me, um, I, I think, think that's, that's like where every financial advisor starts. And for me, it's been a bit of a different journey because um, I actually, my love is, is helping people. And um, how can you help somebody? You know, I guess that's up to a person to say, how could you help somebody? One way I help people through financial planning is just lowering their stress. Right. I, you know, stress kills, um, you know, we get all into that of, you know, being in a stressful kind of mindset. Um, it's hard not to be with, with fear, right? And, and finance is, is extremely stressful to people when it's not going well. And, uh, or when they don't know when they, where they are. Right. They may, some people think they're not doing well, but they're actually doing okay or, or vice versa. So yeah. for me, it's evolved to um, providing people peace of mind. So helping them identify where they are, um, first of all, um, helping them express what they actually want. Do they, wh- what do they want in the future? Do they have some goals? As we know, that, you know, helps with the accomplishment of them. Um, and I help people by, you know, teaching them. And showing them where they are and showing them that they're within means to get where they need to be. And you can just see stress lift. Right. You can see, I can feel it if I have an hour meeting and I had like a barometer of, of stress level, I can see it just go down by Melt the end. Away. And so that's, to me, um, it gives me purpose, allows me to love my job. Yeah. And so I'm just helping I'm just helping people and, and money's your medium. Yeah. And finance to me is a, I love puzzles right. and I can take any uh, person situation and it's, you know, in terms of the finance side of it, it's, it's just a puzzle. Right. It's just a, here's all the moving pieces. Um, and you know, years of studying and becoming an expert, um, at some of those things. And, and I find the more complicated the subject, the, if I can become an expert at that and then be able to articulate and teach to somebody that's adding value. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to ever engage in a, a relationship with somebody where I'm not adding value. Right. Um, and sometimes that's them. They can't even perceive the value I'm adding. That's a whole other question. Right. But yep. if they can't perceive the value I'm adding, they usually aren't reducing their stress or, um, you know, gaining more sort of peace or um, serenity. Um, so for me, it's, taking some things that are extremely, extremely complicated, becoming a master of them myself, um, and then being able to articulate and explain it to somebody. Um, and then they can realize that how that can benefit their situation. So you're adding value, you're enhancing their life, you're lowering their stress, you're giving them peace of mind. Um, so, so that's what I love to do. That's what, what drives me is to, is to help and to solve these puzzles for people. Um, so it, it kind of, helps me use my skill set and um i'm fulfilled myself because it's i'm not just making money that that would never really fulfill me yeah um you know even this last couple years is proof that you know materialistic and all these things we think that we needed to do um aren't real fulfillment you know and and a lot of that comes from within and finding your truth 
Um, so for me, it's, you know, my job is helping people solve their puzzle, explaining it to them so they can know where they're at at least. Um, so they have a chance of, you know, figuring out where they want to go yep. and then me showing to them that it's very easy for them to do that within their means right. and, um, can get even better if they, you know, improve any of these situations or, or whatnot. But at least I put them in a position where they, it's off their worry plate. And, and if it's off their worry plate, their mind's a little quieter. So either they're going to think about things that are important or they might have some divine thoughts come in to help them with something else in their life. Right. Or at least a path, right? That they're looking down that they can yeah. feel like they're not spinning their tires. Oh, yeah. I mean, spinning wheels, it's just the worst. Right. Well, you talk about, so biggest fights in relationships, sex and money, right? <laughs> and you're and you're tackling one of them. Yeah. Or you, yeah. yeah. And, and so yeah. it's one of those things. Do you find that, that, that it's hard? Are you almost, you know, there's sex counselors. You're like a money counselor, right? So do you find that people, you have to, kind of break through any barriers there's a lot of people that won't talk about money yeah right yeah for sure it's they have to be ready you know any situation the more they share the more i can help mm -hmm. but um yeah i totally agree with you and you can see the stress it puts on some relationships and sometimes i do feel like a counselor mm -hmm. in meetings but i like that you know if i feel like i can arbitrarily help especially without them noticing yeah. um that uh yeah, and it's just one more stress to lift, you know. Yeah. To uh, so they can sort out the other ones or what. Money is one of those things that I think, like entrepreneurship, money, like how to how to be successful in real life and not just make believe, is one of those things that I think like it has to be taught in school, oh, right? No and that's something that I also thought was really cool. Is, I mean, you're teaching in school, right? Yeah. You're you're teaching kids. Uh, legitimately how to plan. That's what I said on the first day. I said, I promise you everything I teach you, you're going to use your whole life. Right. Probably tonight, starting right. tonight. Yeah. And uh, I promise not to teach you anything that, you know, you won't be using and, and you won't find either applicable to your own personal finances or if you wanted a career in this area. Right. So it's yeah. been really, really fun to, to have an impact, mm -hmm. um, especially compared to like that course when I took it, you know, not not so much and uh you know that's probably a whole other issue but i for me i i didn't I, i'll admit i didn't get too much stimulation or real growth from kind of the structure of university in a lot of my classes right and so i wanted to go back and you know show them what i wanted my courses to be like doesn't help when you're smarter than your professors <laughs> yeah i mean define smart right but it, it certainly was they weren't delivering something to me that would, could keep my attention long enough to um potentially learn and i just saw them flipping through the textbook and if i can't see how i'm going to use it in my life practically functionally I'm yeah like, like, yeah um, and, and then my attention span is, is gone if i if i think i'm just sort of mimicking something that i could do on my own and right. especially when i'm paying for it and i'm sitting in a classroom and getting restless and uh i struggled a, a lot with that i prefer to just go teach it to myself right yeah and and kind of self-learn because i found that was a lot more effective anyways what do you think about um, what do you think about colleges and universities now? Is it it seems like it's shifting, right? Like it to to in order to jump into things, I don't think somebody could go down your path without going to school, right? Yeah. As far as entrepreneur and business and everything like that, it seems like you can almost learn almost as much as you want on YouTube right now as you can at a, at yeah. a university. Yeah, that's a really tricky question because obviously there's some benefits mm -hmm. and um, 
you know, I can't say that it was completely useless, you know, going to university. There's obviously, there was lots of Clearly, yeah. benefits, yeah. you know, the, the work ethic that it, it creates. Didn't they say it raises your IQ at four years of university? I think so. 15 points. Yeah. Is what they've. Yeah. So define IQ, right? It's not just repeating finance or. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's tricky because the system just seems a little bit broken. Mm-hmm. Um, where eventually, you know, as a sessional instructor, they would like me to keep teaching and, you know, the wage just doesn't, isn't sustainable for my time. Right. And I always over-prepared. So I was even getting a lower wage, you know, um, excessive over-preparation is what I like to do. Cause then I'm anxiety free and I just go with the flow and it's, it's a nice place to be when you're teaching or instructing in front of people, but it's a lot of work yeah. to get there. Yeah. And, um, they're, so I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I did it for a few years. It was a bucket list thing. I wanted to give back. I wanted to, you know, prove to myself what a, what it could be, what I always wanted it to be mm-hmm. a university professor. Yeah. Um, but if, you know, the, I'm just kind of speculating it from a macro level and, you know, the, the professors I think are, how are they compensated? Is it, is it based on, you know, how are these students doing in the future? Is it based on the evaluations from the students? Is it based on the research and money they bring to the university? Like, how are they even, how are they defined as a successful professor? Or how do they, how do they get tenure? Or how do we say we're keeping this guy or not this guy? Right. Um, and uh, they have such a stranglehold that it's almost like they don't have to do much better if mm-hmm. people are just, you know, it doesn't seem like they've had to improve or they've had to offer a, a different or more enhanced product, um, especially now with even courses from home. Um, I don't know. It seems like a little stagnant. I, I, I'm guessing there could be some refreshing if we really wanted to, you know, keep this as something that's producing the, the type of, you know, humans we're, we're looking for in our society. But, um, you know... I can't deny it had benefits for myself and some people it's probably great, but you know, it's if, if right now that university degree raises people's IQ and it teaches them some good discipline and skill set, and it gets them down a career path that is either where they're supposed to be or get them supposed to be, I guess it's, it's, it's working. Okay. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, you certainly, you know, I think I, I have a vision of, I've said to you maybe here and there just in passing of, you know, starting a school for producing strong individuals mm-hmm. who um, for sure have the skill set to face all the things they're going to face in life. Right. And that would be the priority. And then we can do a bunch of the other fun stuff that maybe they'll face in life or maybe might tap something in their creative side. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, that that's my goal, you know, and, and teach them the things that we don't get taught in school, whether it's budget or finance and, uh, you know, I was a big, I had to take calculus, one, two, three, four, stats, one, two, three, four. But I don't really think somebody should be forced to learn calculus. Right. And if they are, they, it should be done differently. Calculus became easy for me when I figured out why it was even invented and how it was ever used. Before that, I was just, it was just like an, another language. Right. But when somebody... Just memorizing. Yeah. And when somebody taught me that it was how the, you know, the Romans built their aqueducts and it's how they got water to the city so they could flourish and be healthy from hundred thousand kilometers away or, or whatever it was and using this gradient of calculus to determine rates of change mm-hmm. everything changed for me calculus became easier all of a sudden so yeah. um but that was me right i, I don't think 
somebody should be forced to learn calculus. I don't know anybody's building aqueducts and it probably just makes them feel stupid or waste their time for sure. Right. So, well, what I really like about, um, I, I think that every, every sector is 80, 20, there is 80% of the people and businesses that are just not, they probably shouldn't be there or they're there <laughs> simply to make an income. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, hundred percent that you're in the 20% uh, in the financial service. It's why you are my financial planner and, uh, and why you're here. Um, so I, I, I think that there is, there's more to do it than uh, you know, what the person knows rather than what their purpose is, who they are as a person. Yeah. Right. Like how it's, be- it's become magical for me that, um, I can do that in my position. Like I, in the back of my head, I like to almost think of myself as, I wouldn't say a therapist, that's a stretch, but um, see, when, I don't when think I'm it- talking to people, it's not just here's how to fix your finances. I'm, I'm talking with them to them, you know, to their soul. And we're talking and I'm, I think it is. I'm, I'm like, finding other ways to, I'm finding ways to put them at ease. I'm mm-hmm. dropping little nuggets in between our finance of things I've learned in my life that have helped me that I can see maybe will help them. And um, I love that part of it. You know, I get to sit and talk with people. So it's, I am there to deliver for, for financial planning in most cases, but yeah. I've taken the opportunity to just be able to talk to people and when they're up or down. Um, when I was real estate coaching, it was, it was 80% therapy. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was like, okay, well, why didn't you do this? We've been talking about it for three weeks. All I need you to do is this next step and you still haven't done it. Yeah. You're trying to go to step five. We're on step three. Why haven't you done it? Yeah. Well, I either don't believe in myself. I'm scared. I'm fighting with my wife. I'm more <laughs> husband. I'm, you know, all these. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's address those. Right. Yeah. Cause we're not going to get anywhere until we address them. And then an hour later we've, Figured that out. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into it. Right. Here's your next steps that you have to do. Maybe it's sit your wife down and talk to her. Right. Or maybe yeah. you have to talk to your mom and ask her why she was mean to you, you know, or <laughs> yeah. w- whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but getting over it. So I absolutely think half of your job is probably therapy. Yeah. And, and, and it's and uh, guiding and dropping little nuggets. And it's a blessing because that's, it's made, makes me so happy in my position because I think that's my true. Um, love is, is, has really helping individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just attached with finances, how I get the meeting, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. So how did you decide, uh, how did you decide to start Madison financial versus going to work for somebody else? <clears throat> oh, that's cause you were, you were playing qu- poker. It's right? quite a, it's quite a journey I, I've, I've been on, which I think that its own that, that alone is um, a blessing you know that the journey would imply there were some changes in different directions and excitement and that's it certainly has been that i actually wanted to be a, a surgeon my whole life so that probably started um from playing the game of life with my older sisters a hundred thousand dollars yeah that's it remembers the game of life but uh very early on i think in the first spin or two your your occupation and your career was determined. Emmett gets so mad at me when I get doctor. <laughs> yeah, my sisters. Yeah. Sometimes they would just quit, flip the board right when I got yeah. doctor. You know, I'm out. Yeah, this is no, we're done. And um, 
so that was a pretty early on lesson for me that, um, and I can, I mean, I haven't played it, you know, since then, but I can even remember the hierarchy, right? It had, you know, doctor, lawyer, like teacher. There's a vet in there. Some, you know, yeah. and, and, yeah. and down to just like sociologist was just like <laughs> trash. It was just like, oh, heaven forbid, I'm, <laughs> heaven forbid that happens to me. You know, it's like, I, I, who even knew what that meant at that age? And, uh, but it, man, if you got that doctor or lawyer, um, payday. Mm-hmm was much better mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah it was and the game was easier and right. uh you know i would definitely kick my sister's butts if i got the doctor or the lawyer and mm-hmm. uh, a bit of a challenge otherwise so i always wanted to be a doctor and um i think from an early age it i think people could tell that i was, was sharp at least mm-hmm. so it was like well you should be yeah you can do whatever you, want. you should be and you're you're caring you know, you would be a great doctor. You should be. And um, I was always very inquisitive also, you know, curious to know everything, even everything about the human body. Um, my dad, he still like laughs. He's just like, you would sit and <clears throat> ask me at least 20 questions why. I'd say, well, dad, if this is this, then, you know, what's this? Well, it's something, 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 something. But but if that, then what's this? And I would do it about 10 times and I'd get to a point and I'd say, dad, do you know what I mean? <laughs> he was saying when I was like six years old, sure. I was asking him if, if he understood why I was asking the question. Dad, do you want to take a break? <laughs> dad, do you know what I mean, dad? Do you know why I'm asking that? He's like, I, I know what you mean, son. Yeah. I was like, I just don't get if white people turn darker when they get sunlight, how come black people don't turn lighter when they get sunlight? Well, mm-hmm. there's pigmentation i was like okay but then why i'm like okay i'll just learn to live that that one doesn't make sense to me <laughs> <laughs> so always i'll, I'll ask you next year <laughs> yeah yep. like, you need a break dad yep. yeah. i could use a break son i'm tired okay yeah i'll give you five minutes and i'll make some more questions while i'm here so you know everything was just on track for me to be a doctor i seemed sharp enough i seemed caring enough um you know got really good Grades in school was always so competitive. That was the most important thing to me was, you know, having the best mark in the class on the math exam. Um, another story, I remember my dad, he, my dad says, he, he said, I knew Dan was going to do what, well, whatever he chose when in grade seven, he had his first exam was in um, an industrial arts class. And he said he woke up to go to the bathroom at, I think, 4.45 in the morning and I, in grade seven, had set my alarm for 4.30 in the morning to get up and study even more for my industrial arts exam. <laughs> he's walking down the hall. <laughs> he sees my light on in my bedroom. And he just going up to the bathroom. And he's like, he said he knew that there was something special going on at that point. So, you know, blessed with whether it was being competitive or wanting to perform or, um, you know, wanting to see if I was nerdier than my nerdier counterparts. Um, so, uh, went into scholarship to pre-med at uh, UW and uh, did a couple of years of that and just had an, an epiphany one day that I just woke up and I was like, wait, is this, is this really what I want to do? Is this, how do you know? And why am I feeling that it might not be? Hmm. It's the first time Something I stopped, thought, right? First time I stopped and actually thought about it. And, uh, yeah, at the time there was, 
there was all kinds. Of, it didn't look the greatest for doctors. I remember there was they were all moving away, or they were saying they're working these long, long hours, or um, and even then I was like, well, I don't want to leave my family, and if I do have a job, I wouldn't mind seeing them, having regular hours, yeah, or seeing right. them and having some control over the time I had spent with them. I, I like working in computing and academics, but I don't want to be um, that everything. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of devastating. I took some time to reflect on it and figure out what I, you know, and then I remember when I was like scared to tell my parents even, you know, that I wasn't sure anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so then I figured out that it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I still had no idea what I wanted to do. Okay. And, uh, you know, who knows how you're supposed to figure that out. I actually kind of have, I help people. That's one thing I like to do too, is kind of through some of my clients who are teachers, they know that I like to help people figure out what they want to do mm-hmm. or how to at least maybe have a hope of figuring it out or accepting that you won't figure it out. You just have to start and go right. <laughs> and it'll figure itself out. And that's something I'm big on in terms of is, is just finding your truth and being attuned to your truth. Mm-hmm. I think that's ultimately why I am so happy where I am is because I went through sort of multiple almost career path changes and uh from an actuarial background to think that you would guess right is preposterous on your first try yeah what are the odds that's just insane it's not it's too good to be true (laughs) (laughs) i can tell you and uh so i just think it's so important to be connected to your truth because that's how you navigate this journey you know that's how and so i think that day was the first time i actually looked inward at what is my truth not just what appears to be my truth from the game of life, from everybody around me, you know, and from what I was sort of steering to steered to think was my truth. And you were what, 20? <clears throat> it would have been, yeah. So, you know, say we graduate 18, so a couple of years of university, so yeah. 2021. And didn't know what I'd do, but I, I figured I had to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I liked math and I knew I was competitive. And I, I figured that if I'm not sure what I want to do, I might as well do something challenging or at least something that I knew would get me some street cred no matter where I ended up. That's fair. And uh, so I basically said, in the meantime, um, what's the hardest degree there is to get? I'll, maybe I'll just start with that. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's That's, do that. that sounds yeah. fun. So, so he said, well, the hardest degree there is to get is, um, you know, actuarial mathematics. You know, of course, opinion. You know, I'm sure there's... You know, I'm sure there's the a, a range. Yeah, we like, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, um, and I, and, you know, it, it was that. And then you talk to some people, they're like, yeah, well, you know, if you, if you look at some of the big CEOs and, and CFOs or of some of these big investment or insurance or these companies, um, a lot of them are actuaries. So they, whether you stay an actuary forever, they certainly seem to move up the hierarchy, um, a little smoother and easier than somebody else. So that was intriguing to me. So I was like, let me find the hardest thing I can do. So I went, um, I had to take a kind of a half term of taking courses I needed to get into Asper School of Business to go mm-hmm. into actuarial mathematics. So I had to take a, it was kind of a fun, it was like kind of had like a three course. I had to take economics and stats and calculus. Um, so I had kind of a lighter load to do that. And then I got to go into commerce after that um so then i became an you know graduate of my actuarial degree started writing my actuarial exams 
summer student job at uh, Great West Life. It was awesome. It was really challenging. Um, I love Microsoft Excel. I love it. I love Microsoft Excel because I love math, but I also love, um, I feel like I, I have a little bit of, um, I get the other side of my brain as well. I and mean, people say you only get one side. I feel like I get to dabble in both for some reason. Um, and so even with Microsoft Excel, which I love doing, and I, I became like the local expert of Microsoft Excel, and all of the the nerds and all of the management would bring their Excel spreadsheet to me and say, can you check this? And then can you make it pretty for me? Because I got to present to the board. And so not only did I love the the design and you know, I was taking things that would take people three, three weeks, three months to do, and they were doing it in an hour. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't really thinking maybe I was losing people jobs. I just thought it was cool how I was helping things more, be more efficient. And then I got to make them pretty and so people could present them to the board. And so I loved Microsoft Excel and I loved that. I just didn't think I wanted to do it 50 hours a week. And it was starting to lose a bit of its, you know, there was becoming some sort of marginal returns of my the you know the benefits of my love for excel and i i started to feel a little bit like uh i was wasting talents and bronx tale one of my favorite movies the dad always said to his son he was a bit harder the dad but there's nothing worse than wasted talent there's nothing mm -hmm. worse than wasted talent which you know if you've been given gifts in life it, it would be sad if you didn't use them if, somebody else could have you know mm -hmm. so it is you gotta use them if you got them i think and so i did I, that's another kind of my truth you know and always trying to be cognizant of listening to myself and clearing my head so i could find my truths of um i did feel like i wasn't quite getting enough out of myself okay i could be doing more i could be helping more i could be i wanted to make a little bit more money at that point i'll admit and like i could be making more i could be and I still was, the, the biggest factor for me became when the determinants for promotions was more than how good is your work? How good a leader are you? You know, how good are you and effective are you in these meetings? How good are you, you know, making this department, these Results. people better? Yep. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, that, or you're a good leader or you, you help keep the energy good with your sense of humor. You know, you're an empathetic person. You're great for the team. But it wasn't that. It was it was a lot of who was doing the brown nosing, and uh, who was doing some of the extracurricular activities that allowed for more brown nosing. Or, you know, and so it, I really didn't like that. Um, whether it was because I didn't get the promotion or because it just didn't seem fair. Do you know how long <laughs> I had to brown nose for, and I still didn't get it? <laughs> yeah. So I didn't like that. I don't. I don't like. Brown nosing. I like spreading good energy. I like making people people feel good. But I'm not a brown noser. Never will be. Um, I love complimenting people. You know, I like talking and making people feel good and spreading as much love and good energy as I can. But not the brown nosing part. I'm not going to differentiate that part. when it's yeah the fake or it's connected to some my benefit somehow. I guess yeah. I have no interest in that. So I I was uh, I think I did that for five years and. I was still teaching lots of seminars. I was teaching finance seminars at the U of M wow. at the time. And I, and I love teaching. I love that. Right. That was where my first taste of, I was the commerce had asked me to teach seminars for the students because, um, this class corporate finance, which if you wanted to graduate and if you wanted to have a finance pattern, you had to either pass it or get a certain grade in it. Okay. Very, 
very tough course if nobody teaches you properly. Extremely difficult if somebody doesn't take the time to break down the fundamental sequential building blocks that, that is finance. That is really easy um, if you just step back a little bit. Um, and they knew that I did well in the class and I didn't go to one class. So I, did, <laughs> I, I just went and taught myself in the university. Huh? So I got a really good mark and I didn't need the profs. Okay. Um, and uh, I would just go to the library during course. And eventually I started a little clique. People would just come with me and we would just study together and ask each other questions. And, mm -hmm. and uh, what a better way to understand it, right? And, um, you know, memorization in one year out the other. But when you take the time to understand how something works, right. it stays almost forever. So I was really loving that teaching. Um, and I was making significant more income than I was, you know, in the uh, Excel brown nosing world. Or, um, you know, I think I was making a modest income and then I would go and I would do a seminar on a Saturday for 50 bucks and 200 students would come and I would make, you know, 10 grand in a, in a day as a student. Yeah. I would go down and pay my tuition in 20s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of weird looks. You know, I was like, I don't even do drugs. I promise. You know, never mind dealing. I'm good at dancing. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. And, um. So I always loved teaching, always loved that aspect. And that was my first taste of these people had an exam in a week and the course was tough. The hype around the course was enough to make anybody fail also. Everybody was so scared of it. And so they asked me to do these seminars because people were dropping out of the course or they just couldn't get their finance degrees um, to help them prepare for their exams because they knew that I had obviously prepared. Was that professors that asked you? Was that the school? It was Who's the that? Commerce Student Association. So it okay. was... The professors actually didn't like it as much. They found it a bit as a jab to their ego. You're cheating. Yeah. You're and help, I would talk to the professors. People. I would go to some of the professors and say, do you mind if I just pop in your class right when it's done and, and tell the students about it? And some professors didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I'd say to them, I'd say, like, listen, this is nothing personal with you. Some students yeah, need, just need a more. Bad teacher. Some students, <laughs> no. It's not nothing They personal. already had their backup. That was not <laughs> right. going to work. You know, some students need more time. Right. And some students need to talk through some things. And, uh, you know, you only have a set amount of office hours and you're helping other students at that time. So I'm here to provide some supplemental help. Some of them were on board. Um, some of them were on board, you know, after a few years, once they got their ego down. But I had 200 students come in, um, pulling their hair out and, you know, looking like they're having pad attacks in the first two hours. And then by the end of the day, they're smiling, their, their shoulders are down, they're, they're, they're laughing, they're thanking me so much. They're being like, why didn't somebody tell us this mm -hmm. why didn't somebody take a minute to oh i just would have said this teach it like this rather right, than memorize yeah. to put this number here that number here this here well no it actually all makes sense they they actually asked me if i would do the same thing for financial accounting because mm -hmm. that's also a tough course mm -hmm. and i said not a chance because that is all memorization oh, okay. well it's a lot of you know simplifying it but um what is this ratio and what does this ratio mean? You know? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, memorizing, you know, T-sheets and uh, <laughs> I'm probably even butchering what I'm saying, but I said not a chance anyways, because I'm not going to teach people how to memorize things. Right. But with finance, I taught them how to approach anything that they can answer any finance question now or give it a damn good shot. And so, yeah, it was, I think, I think when it was all said and done was about 2000, over 2000 students. And, um, 100% pass, pass rate, Every, everybody passed the exam who who came, except for one person, but they lied that they didn't pass so they could come back to my seminar so they could record me and copy all my notes and put it on paper and then go try to sell it all across Canada. That was the only person who claimed they didn't pass. 
And I let him come back for free the second time because I was like, I can't believe it didn't work. You're here for free today. You sit in the front row. We're going to help you. Ace what this. an entrepreneur. What a, yeah. He saw I guess he saw some value in my product. <laughs> yeah, and, there you uh, go. Tried to sell it all across Canada. Oh, wouldn't even give you a kick. Yeah, that was a humbling. Uh, that was a wonderful experience for me for learning humility and forgiveness. Um, yeah, we can dive, dive into that another time. But uh, I remember when my grandma told me I had to forgive him. And I was just like, what? What WTF did you just say, Grandma? Yeah. Do you realize the pain that this guy's caused me? Yeah. Gotta forgive him, Danny. Yeah. I remember when I came back a few weeks later and told her I for, forgave him, and we cried and hugged, and it was a really nice moment. <clears throat> um, I digress. So I, I knew I loved teaching, and I knew I had ability to help people understand complex issues that they formerly thought they could never understand, and that's really a nice feeling. So I want like to every, teach. every time you talk to me in your office. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, Dan, you have $100 <laughs> and this other $100, that makes $200. Yeah, yeah, yeah very good. Yeah. And um, so I, at the time, my mom, Pat, she was an emergency nurse for 20 years. And then when we got a little bit older, she kind of, as me, we had some bigger aspirations and she wanted to be her own boss and have her own business. And so she thought with her background in nursing, um, she went and she was a rehab consultant for a bit after where you help people with disabilities get back to work. And she was really great at that. But what happened was there were some top financial advisors in the city saw how good she was at that, saw how diligent she was, how good she was with the clients, how good she was about just her punctuality, her structure of, of helping these people that they kept saying to her, you know, you would be a really great like insurance and, and sort of financial advisor. And one of the guys who was one of the top was a, also a mentor of mine named Simon Hebert, a big financial advisor in the city. He um, lured her to join him as a sub-financial advisor on his team. And he so he explained, well, tell me about this career, this financial, tell me all about this. And uh, he told her about it. And she said, thanks for the information. I, and I appreciate your offer, but I'm going to start my own. <laughs> and so she started her own um she started mostly just with things like disability insurance, okay. critical illness insurance, and hence life insurance, because it really connected with her background as a nurse, <clears throat> understanding the reality of whether sickness or injury, the impact it can have on somebody. Um, and then inevitably, because she did such a good job of that, she got some clients RSPs or, or things like that. And so she was doing that for about 10 or 15 years. And I'd done my whole career, this whole story, and I'm telling you to this point, not once did I ever think what does mom do? Or, you know, I never once, like, I didn't even look at her. Yeah. Well, I didn't mom's even, a nurse. Yeah. And, and then was started this, you know, but right. I was just like, that's cool. I see how hard you work, you know, yeah. and, but I never actually thought like, maybe that's something I'd want to do. It's like I had an ego at the time. Right. So I thought, no, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm aiming way higher than anything my mom could ever yeah. get to, you know, right. what an ego that was. And, um, so I put together this business plan with my investment side with some of my, I guess, almost network that I've created of people who, who trust me and who know that I like to teach and help um, that we should start a business together with her insurance side and, you know, all of her clients she had at the time and my investment side, you know, what an awesome business we could start together. Mm -hmm. And this was 27. I was 27. And so I'd done sort of in the actuarial and the corporate hierarchy, uh, brown nosing world for about five years and I had enough and said to her that this is my proposal that um we do this she's like i like the idea 
I'll take a closer look at it. But you're not ready. I'm going to start my own. <laughs> I'm going to start my own. <laughs> yeah. Give me that. Give me that. Yeah. And, uh, but you're not ready. Come back in 30 with more training and a, a more robust financial plan. And we'll do it. So I was like, what am I supposed to do for three years? <laughs> you know, like, what, are you, what am I Did she legitimately to? say come back at 30? Yeah. <gasps> I knew I loved your mom, but now it's to another level. It's like, what? <laughs> what? I'm like, I'm not, so, I'm not enough right now. Like this, like, what are you talking about? Like, and of course, back then I still had quite an ego. Um, so I, I couldn't, I was perplexed. I couldn't believe that she, you know, I'm like, what? You're turning me down? Like, I'm just, I'm giving you like the, the, <laughs> the pot of gold here. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, what? You don't want to make more money? You don't want to more like, what? You know, but of course she always knew best right and um whether it was what she knew about the personal growth i had to achieve yeah or just she knew the business so well that you know it, the probability of a uh, somebody giving a 30 year or 27 year old in his first year a couple million dollars to invest or sitting down with him and their corporate accountant and lawyer and saying tell us what you think you know mm -hmm. just probably not that it can't be done you know there's some uh, insurance and financial advisors that have outstanding success who started at, like didn't go anywhere. She started at age 20, just yeah. on personality and, and hard work. But, um, you know, she was, she was right about a lot of it. And, uh, that was a humbling experience. And that whole three years became just a humbling, um, fi finding myself even further, the, the start of my journey to reduce ego, to find my truth that that's, that started it. Um, I can't wait to tell my kids something not till you're 30 <laughs> yeah. that legitimately like that's a yeah. thing that's that's a thing that i truly believe yeah there should be no major life decisions that are that you cannot change right like careers whatever yeah but like 30 is a big one i think that is like nobody should get married before they're 30 i agree there's this there's this thing called like um return to saturn it's like this astrological thing okay that um everybody goes through around age 26 to 30 mm. uh, where they kind of find themselves and uh, it's the first time that they've something has forced them to stop and look a little bit more within rather than just looking up and around and right. forward right yeah. yeah life hasn't slapped them enough yeah they, they've they've just been um climbing you know on in fifth gear they've just been cruising you yeah. know yeah and maybe there have been some signs that come their way but they're they haven't had the ability to see them Right. You know, because they're, um, so that's, that's, I guess, almost this whole story, right? And so then when I came back at 30, um, I was prepared. I was ready. And, uh, so many things happened to me in that three years that made me ready. Um, but I'd say the most part was, um, humility and, um, the journey to start removing ego, mm -hmm. uh, whether it was her comment to me or just the age or the time in my life, the ability to start seeing these things. And, um, yeah, I think I was, you know, for how smart I was and how much of an ego I had, that's a dangerous place to be. I think you make a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. I think you make a lot of mistakes when you have that combination. I don't blame myself because I hadn't had a chance to you know, chip away at my ego just yet, but it was a dangerous place to be because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I thought I knew everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, I think most people that age kind of do. Yeah. Right. But you had a 
deadly sword there because you were extremely smart and yeah and successful up to that point yeah and uh extremely dangerous right in terms of what you think of yourself or just your views of the world or yep. um you know that was the start of a great journey for me you know and um even back then um i was an atheist because i knew everything mm -hmm. you know i knew everything so of course I knew everything, and if it couldn't be proven by science or my brain couldn't figure out, it just obviously wasn't possible. Santa Claus in the sky. Right. So, um, yeah, it's. I can tell an interesting story on that if, if you would like, kind of about my journey of removing the ego and and. Uh, I would love to. <laughs> okay, it was um, for me the start of my you know to actually consider that I didn't know everything. That's what you know to me that is removing ego or um finding humility or these types of things which i think are so important to going back to myself to sticking to your truth to finding your path right and that's why eventually i believe i did find my path is when i started to remove all the ego and the distractions but for me you know i knew everything so um ugh, what a sense of entitlement and ego it actually what what first cracked that um whether it was some, some divine intervention or my brain acting in some sort of superpower level or something was in my last couple of years of university, I kept having like legit psychic episodes, legit psychic episodes. Um, you know, my definition was my brain was seeing things before they happened. And I was getting sort of these visions and seeing things, um, you know, like uh, I'd be walking into Amsu and this is just an example. And, you know, a listener could probably be like, oh, well, you could probably make it up. You could probably make up anything, you know, this, but it's not made up. Um, Say I would say, I would see somebody and be like, oh, you know, that looks like my friend Morgan Kane, who, oh, man, I haven't seen that guy in like 10 years. You know, I wonder how he's doing. And then I would take 15 steps and there would be Morgan Kane who doesn't even go to U of M, was just there dropping off a paper for, you know, something. And and then he didn't look anything at all like the person I just saw 20 seconds earlier who I thought looked like Morgan Kane. Mm -hmm. And so it, did, it would happen, coincidence. I'd be like, oh, that's weird, you know? And then it just kept happening. And it kept happening that I couldn't um, deny it anymore. And so much that I remember the first time I said, how could my brain know that? Right. Like, how... Is that possible? How is that possible that my brain knew that? You know? And that started the questioning, right? Well, maybe there's, if my brain knew that, there has to be something going on here that I can't conceptualize. Like were you or, just being hyperintuitive? You know, were you, yeah. was it catching things you weren't? quicker than the yeah. human process tapping me into something um but just the fact that it's it knew i knew my brain knew something that that i wasn't seeing okay so um that started my it opened it cracked me a bit for the light to come in to be like i wonder if there's more things that i think i know that i don't you know or that are behind even beyond human comprehension but can still exist okay you know, just because we can't prove it um, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I mean, look at how things have changed over hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, so that first cracked the door. That was the first crack. Yeah. And then one of my next favorite stories, which really cracked things open, 
um, was a couple years later, I think. So I just graduated. I was on this kind of journey of a little bit of humility finally. And um, I was on a flight to Las Vegas on December 29th. And I had just broken up with um, a girlfriend who was really bringing me down. Um, lots of great features, but was just kind of really bringing me down. It took me a long time to figure it out. And I was going to meet one of my best friends who was, uh, who'd been working in Las Vegas. And so I was going to go see one of my buddies, you know, we were going to go to a New Year's party. Um, I was just in such a great mood. I was just, um, probably feeling way too much swagger than I, I should with, you know, me being me. And, uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I was like back then, especially I hated waiting in lines. I hated any of that. So even on planes, I used to treat planes like a, like a bus stop. It was like, you know, Ugh. sprint, sprint. The plane leaves at 701. I'm like, oh, it's like 658. I'm in the bar. I'm like, I guess I better get down there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I always, I always thought it was the biggest deal on a plane when you could have like an empty seat beside you. You know, I would like spread my stuff out and get both the tables down as I'd have a drink here and my mix here and my computer here. I just liked the space. And I get into this plane uh, late. It looks like it's pretty packed. Um, I, I'm a little earlier than I usually am because they weren't closing the door. And it's a packed plane. It's a completely packed plane, except I see one row that has two empty seats on it. I assume I'm the last guy, but maybe not because I'm a little earlier than usual. So I start walking up and I remember at the time thinking like, not only I'm like, oh, I hope that's my row 17 right there. I'm like, it is going to be my row. Everything's just going awesome right now. And it's the only seat I see open. So mm -hmm. it looks like it is going to work out perfectly here. And I remember walking up and being like, oh, and what is this? Where's this on the aisle? This, I remember the lady, I think her name was Tina. She was probably about 40, um, maybe less. But I remember thinking like, oh, and look at this beautiful cougar right here like I don't, I don't know what that means i'm just and i'm not saying that's what that's what i, th I remember thinking that at the mm -hmm. time and i'm just like she has no idea what she's getting herself into and yeah you know, she will be mine yeah. oh yes she will be yeah. mine. and uh, things are good right yeah now. yeah if she plays her cards right she yeah. will be mine yeah it's fair yeah so much ego still and um so i just gave her the biggest smile because i'm just feeling the best I felt in so long, you know, you're just rolling and, and you're going on a vacation, all those things where people just feel great. And um, so I give her this huge smile and, and, and sit down and she smiles at me almost taken back by why would I give somebody such a big smile or, you know, and um, so I'm sitting there on the window getting buckled in. We got the seat between us. Um, she's on the aisle and you can see that they're getting ready at the front to start to put, you know, maybe close up that door. And that's what you want. When you got that seat open, you want, you're just like, close that door, yeah. close that door, baby. Come on. And uh, <laughs> so um, I see, I kind of sense that she's sort of feeling the same thing as me looking at the door, kind of like, Oh my God. And this full plan, are we actually going to get this seat open beside us? And she kind of goes to turn her head to me. Like she's going to say something. And I went, don't even say it. Don't. I'm like, don't even say it. <laughs> you just, I was just feeling it, you know, I was feeling it, right? I didn't sure, sure I thought that'd be rude. I was just, but I did put my hand up in her face. <laughs> Not nearly as rude. <laughs> and it's just like, don't even say it. Yeah. And she, I could tell, was taken back in a, in a nice, in a good way. She was just like, she just kind of smiled and respected mm -hmm. that I did that. And then just sort of 
nodded her head and faced forward. And then we sat there and they closed the door. And then the plane started to take off. You don't celebrate before that plane takes off. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. you never know. So we just get up. It just kind of flat toes. Maybe the seatbelt sign. You know, I'm thinking like, okay, I'm going to start charming this lady. Before I can talk, she does the same thing to me. Kind of like, do you mm-hmm. just hold on a second, you know? And she says, you're a Virgo and you have psychic episodes. And me, I didn't miss a beat. I said, how can the alignment of the stars possibly affect my personality? And she said, you're just a speck of sand in the Sahara Desert. (laughs) And we were off to the races. (laughs) Three and a half hours of do, 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 do. And me being the know-it-all, being sharp too. And and, But but my weakness against her was my lack of humility and thinking I knew everything. Mm -hmm. And she didn't give a, a rat's ass if I believed anything she said. And that was what, it was like she was the perfect person to, First of all, the, the way she started, you know, mm-hmm. that caught my attention, you know, that how could she possibly pick up on that? And looking back now, you know, she saw something in my personality. She saw something in my um, intuition. She saw something in my courage to say something to her, my sense of humor. She saw something mm-hmm. and she just pegged me, mm-hmm. bang on. And we talked for three hours um, about everything, about good, about evil, everything she knew. Apparently she was like an astrology professor or something. Yep. Um, I've tried to look them up. I can't find them. Sometimes I wonder if they even exist to be, fun- to be honest. Um, I know that's a bit extravagant, but, um, so, and, and yeah, she, she didn't care if I believed she was just sort of saying, here's, here's some stuff that you might want to know. Yeah. And I'd keep challenging her. Well, if, then how can this be? And how can it possibly be? You know? And, um, it was amazing. And so the flight lands and I was just like, that was the fastest flight I've ever had. You know, I was almost like, when you talk too much, you're almost like, did I even swallowed in two hours, you know, like, and, uh, it just like on a high, just like, holy smokes. And, um, we land and she's like, oh, I'm just going to, she's like, I'm just gonna go to the bathroom, you know, the bing. And, uh, and she's like, oh, she's like, oh, hey, Dan, this is across the house. She's like, oh, this is my husband, uh, Roger. And I was like, <laughs> Holy smokes, I've just been like max hitting on this lady for three hours, you know, having fun, but also trying to charm her, not in a bad way or anything, just being fun mm-hmm. and charming. And uh, I was like, oh, hey, Roger. <laughs> I was like, Roger, I am so sorry. What have I stepped into? I just talked to your wife for three and a half hours nonstop. I didn't stop asking her questions. I didn't even know you were with her. And he was just like, kind of smiled at me like, well, thanks for giving me a break, first of all, Dan. And, uh, you know, he didn't say that, but he just smiled like, it's no problem. And um, he's like, we actually, we fly all the time on aisle seats like this. We prefer, we take the aisle across. So that's just how they traveled anyways. And uh, and I was just kind of, we kind of had a laugh and I was like, oh man, I'm sorry. I'm like, we just had the most amazing conversation. And uh, he's like, yeah, we've been on a thousand flights um, just this last year. We've been traveling a lot. And... Um, Tina has the thing on planes. I'm like, what's that? And she's like, I've never seen her talk to anybody but me on a plane. And I'm just like, get the fuck out of here, you guys. I got enough shivers going through me right now, you know? Just like, God, come on. Like, you, you've, you've made your impact on me. You don't have to rub it in with all this stuff, you know? And uh, it, it was just inspiring. It, it, it pivoted me in my life to 
to keep this journey of removing ego, finding more truths. What do, what actually don't I know? And uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. And I remember I was getting to a cab and I saw them, you know, Vegas, it's like all those lines and, and like waved to them. They like waved to me and smiled. And I was like, I can't wait to like look these people up and like meet them again and talk to them again. And uh, just, I haven't been able to find them anywhere in the world. And so I joke sometimes, I'm like, did I have the whole role by myself? Did they even exist? <laughs> did they even exist? Yeah, this is a good twist like, in the movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I see people. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was huge. Uh, so that affected me. you. Yeah. That affected me big time in a wonderful way. Cause it, um, it just helped me recognize that I didn't know everything, which right. is probably the best thing to ever happen to me because it's, I mean, what a horrible block to have up, right? Like thinking, you know, everything. And then just thinking that I was somehow better or worse or, um, yeah, it was just a huge pivotal point in my life i'll never i'll never forget it right like it just it kind of nailed the hammer down of some things i was sort of starting to figure out and so mm -hmm. um totally opened my mind to spirituality to something out there greater than us and um there's probably all kinds of things that we can't comprehend that doesn't mean they aren't it's a beautiful thing about growing and learning and the they say and i can attest to this is that the more you learn, the less you know, the less you <laughs> yeah. feel, right? Because then yeah. you start, you start, re at, at first you don't even know that there's a door in the room, right? Yeah. And then you're yeah. like, the door cracks a little bit. Hey, there's a door there. You open it up, you walk into another there's room. other stuff? And you realize that there's three doors in the next room. And you're like, oh, there's three <laughs> doors? Oh my God. And the next door and the permutations that continue off of that. Good word. And you're just what is going on, right? Yeah. There's so much that I don't know that like, heaven forbid, I can actually learn some of this stuff and yeah. and apply it in my life. Yeah, right? it was a great start for me. And then it eventually led to my, like, my Hawaii trips. Mm, right. And that was what I parlayed into was going to Hawaii um, for 30 days by myself uh, to start every January and uh, seek help from everybody I knew who, knew anything about removing ego or wellness. You know, I'm sure I talked to you. I talked to a lot of my friends and like, what would you do if you had 30 days by yourself and you wanted to completely remove your ego? And so that's kind of what I, people taught me what to do. Sounds and, like that could be a book or a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. And yeah, I would every day. So I would wake up as I would take a little bit of time, have like maybe a tea or something on the balcony. And then I would walk down the beach three miles, jog back three miles, uh, swim for half an hour, meditate for an hour, journal for an hour, um, have a snack. And then the afternoon, I just had to do something in nature, whether it was just lying on a beach or it was going on a hike and then do that for a few hours and then pick up fresh fish and fruits and vegetables for dinner. Um, the condo I stayed at, there was kind of like a little central barbecue pit. So I get to see some other humans during dinner time and, mm -hmm. and chat a little bit. And then, um, watch the sun come up every morning, um, sit and watch sunset every night. And this place I was at, everybody would come and sit on the beach and watch sunset. Sun would go down to about 6.15. And then uh, people were just like, okay, we watched it. We go. I would always stay another hour and even more beautiful colors. And I would just sit there and, and reflect on my day and the things that I maybe have learned or thought differently. And then... Um, 
this would go to bed. And I'm usually a night hawk, but when I was there, I'd, I mean, the sun goes down in Hawaii at, like I said, 6.37, it's dark by 7. Just go to bed and just wake up and repeat. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was that's like the final piece that like got me to where I am now in terms of, you know, full removal of ego or at least the awareness of what it takes to have a full removal of ego. That's the thing. When the first time I went and I came back, I've never felt more energy, more clarity, more motivation, more supercharged, more hungry for everything, clarity on relationships, everything I wanted to do in business, all the energy I wanted to do, just like a total machine physically, mentally. And, uh, and I was just like, this is amazing. This is it. This is it. Yeah. And then I thought I got to just keep that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, then I, you know, had a one stress here or a fire to put out here or a stressful moment in a relation here. Yeah. And then I just sort of went back to the sort of same scrambled eggs yeah, pulls and you back into the hole. more emotional or things being upset about something. And then the next day being like, I don't even care about that. Mm-hmm. Why was I even, you know? And, um, it's, uh, it gave me the awareness that like anything, um, that great, it, it doesn't come free that um it was the work that i had put in that allowed me to feel so amazing and um that i had to continue that routine i didn't just get to keep it so then that's when then i started uh you know got a membership at the winter club um not there anymore it's a whole other conversation got a membership at the winter club because i wanted to try to duplicate my hawaii and so that's what i tried to do i got a membership at the winter club started swimming in the morning Mm -hmm. and then doing my meditation after and then going to the office after that and uh recognizing that you don't just get to keep something so wonderful like everything in life it takes hard work to get the benefits and um it, it wouldn't be right for something so wonderful to just be free it would be nice if we all could be like that but i guess that's just not the way it is mm-hmm. well there's no there's no yin and yang there right yeah it's all yang no yang <laughs> that's right yeah 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 so how do you find that that like if you go pre that and post that or at least even the spiritual journey the the humility and the ego and and everything and the growth that take took place. How what how what were you seeing as far as the practical applications in your business life? Like, did it affect the business? Did it make it better? Did it make it worse? Did it oh, not it change made, it? It made it everything better. Yeah. It made everything better because you're in your truth, right? You're there. You you've made it, and <clears throat> a lot of the way I explain it to to people is that people talk about, you know, I want to live a life of no regret. Like that's, that's nice. That sounds nice. And I've always wanted to have that. I've never wanted to have a regret. Um, you know, admitted we make mistakes, but you could remove regret. I think if you're comfortable that in that moment, you've done everything you can to be the best version of you, how you react, how you think, how you talk in that moment. So for me, that was, you know, after a couple of years of the meditation and is that I would call it the truth of Dan. And he was like, what did you eventually achieve out there? And I'm like, I found the truth of Dan and I found how to stay in line with the truth of Dan. It's kind of like my comment I said, where everybody's been there, where they've, uh, you know, whether it's a, with a friend or at a party or in a relationship where, you know, say to people, I'm like, did you ever, you know, the next day think about something you said to somebody that night or how you felt? 
And then you know, I kind of mentioned earlier, you're like, I don't even care. Mm-hmm. I actually don't even care about that. Or like, why would I really even say that? What, what drove me to say that in that moment to that person? Mm-hmm. I don't dislike them. I don't really feel that towards them. Like, what was that venomous lash out anyways? And uh, we've all felt that. We've all, all been there, right? And I never wanted that to ever happen again in my life. I never want to ever say something that isn't my truth. I never want to react that's not my truth. Mm-hmm. I never want to deliver advice or anything to somebody <laughs> that isn't my absolute truth of how I really feel. So when I'm in line with this truth, um, first of all, everything's easier because you're just so at ease. Mm-hmm. That's probably a little redundant present, a club of redundancy club. And, um, but you know that I know that I'm going to react, whether it's something little or something big, mm-hmm. that when I look back at the next day at my reaction, mm-hmm. I will have no regrets. When I look back at what I said, when I look back at what I did, I won't have any regrets because I'm in line with my truth and I know it. So I do find it as a way for me to have no regrets in life. So I think I've cracked that, but it's the work you have to put in the work to be in your truth and honestly be in your truth, Mm -hmm. not just kind of there, not just knowing what, if you were in your truth, what you think you would say, like you got to be there. And, um, it goes for everything. It goes for relationships. You know, I'm true to crystal, um, how I feel and, uh, what I think, and I'm comfortable sharing that because I know it's my truth mm-hmm. and we are meant to be, which I think we are, that she'll appreciate my truth. And that's probably what she should be getting from Re- me. Regardless of what it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Good, it's good me. or bad. It's me, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, she loves me and um, I assume loves everything about me. You just assume so at this point. So why not show her everything? And in terms of business too, I'm the combination of me knowing my truth and then the the time I take to say understand the finance world and the investment world, um, so that I feel truth in that also. You know, just understanding what I think is going to happen in a stock market and why. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just mathematical anymore. There's um, there's more to it. Well, there's politics now. You can see is involved in these things. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of behavioral things. There's um, but so, I, the most social dynamics. Yeah, but I can of... see it all. And so I know in my truth, you know, we, when I'm giving somebody advice of, Dan, what do you think is going to happen with it? Well, I'm comfortable sharing how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm comfortable, like, confidently sharing how I feel. And that, first of all, that's, for them, they're getting good advice. And it's also... Um, it's easier for them to receive it as well when it's coming with such confidence and truth as well. And then they can absorb it easier and get on board with it and get more peace of mind or more confidence in the decision they want to make. Um, so it's, it's truthful in that way with, with clients. Also, I remember my grandpa would say, there's nothing more valuable than honest, intelligent advice. And I used to always try to duplicate that. But I even realized in some of my earlier years, I wasn't quite there. I was giving what I thought was the best advice, and it was good advice. But now if I think I compare it to the advice I give now in terms of honest and intelligent, like it's so honest mm-hmm. because it's it's so pure what I believe. 
And whether it's from all the work I've done on myself or it's the work I've done understanding these complex markets or things to also give me the confidence in, in what I'm thinking and feeling. Um, so I really feel like whatever's sort of happened to me to really remove this ego is like, now I'm really giving honest, intelligent advice more <laughs> so than I ever have. I almost feel like I was giving all good, honest advice, but I was kind of I was guessing at what I thought was honest, intelligent advice. Interesting. It's yeah. like now I really am and I know I am and that's a good feeling and it just helps in this whole, um, my getting such personal rewards out of helping people and then helping people so much. Like when everybody can win like that, it's just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned uh, redundancies <laughs> and talking about um, how things are kind of, it, it made more things at ease. And another way that I like to think about that is, um, is, is a lightness. It's very light. Mm-hmm. It's a lot lighter because now yeah. you're not having to wear so many different hats For or sure. personas or like free uh, bird. things that, that you think you're supposed to act like, right? Yeah. Like an actor. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day and, and he was saying how we're, we're the best actors, <laughs> right? And, and how we think we're supposed to be acting in that exactly. moment. And there's certain things of like, why did I say that? Why did there's I do that? There's a certain that? about a fake it till you make it, right? Like there's a certain amount. Of, I think you, you all have to a little bit until we can find our truth. So I don't hold it against some people. You know, like there's, I'm sure we read the line that you don't have to. But there's intention in yeah. there too, right? Right. Like what are you faking it for? Right. Right. Yeah. There's a, a what? What's the what's the purpose of it? And, and yeah, and getting right. I guess I'm cross referencing with something I used to repeat to myself when I was starting out, and I wasn't sure of myself or that. That I re- I had these mentors that I'd always talk to, and I used to say to myself that. If I can just duplicate the things these successful people do in, in the meantime, mm-hmm. until I find my way, I'll, I'll be successful, right? So it was a bit of sort of faking what I had to be until I found exactly what I wanted it to be or my personal truth on it, right? So, right. yeah, I think we're saying similar yeah. things. Yeah. Well, we don't have to reinvent the wheel on everything, yeah. right? Like, there's there's <laughs> true and tried practices for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've, you've kind of been many places uh doing different things but you're in winnipeg your business is in winnipeg your home's in winnipeg yeah love of your life's in winnipeg your family's here um what makes winnipeg special that's a good question is it just that you were born here you remember that sign in in uh, in the Simpsons? <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs> we were born here. What's your? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that one. I thought you were just saying that. That's it. Back to Winnipeg. Simpsons always makes fun of us, but that's okay. We have a good sense of humor. You know, it's hard to put a finger on it. Um, you know, there's probably a list of things we could say that would answer the questions that you know. But what what is it really? Um, I don't know. I I, I love it here. Maybe it's the simplicity um i always said i love leaving winnipeg but i love coming back to winnipeg Mm -hmm. so maybe that that's kind of how i best explain it you know it's like home cooking or something um simple yeah and um it's not broken and all the other things you said you know wonderful friends family you know a business that there are so many extremely successful financial advisors in Winnipeg. It's actually, there's more successful financial advisors in Winnipeg than like in any other province in Canada. Why is that? I don't know. It's not because 
there's only all the businesses here. It's much the, the you know, maybe it's something to do with that, but there's, there's enough business here, you know, whether it's um, people are there's successful. There's a lot of money in Winnipeg. There's, so there's enough money. business here for everybody, right? Yep. Um, where you might think that there's more business and or more money or opportunity to help in, you know, other provinces or something. But um, so for my career, um, I have everything I need here. And plus you can be a little, you know, I have clients all, all across Canada as well with virtual stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know how people can be so different over just 200 kilometers. You know, like what, what does make something different? Um, you know, I was, I'm always blown away by how you can drive to Grand Forks for two hours and they talk totally different. Mm-hmm. Like, how the heck did that happen? <laughs> what is this sorcery? <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. how does geography have these changes, you know? Um, but that also leads me to my next question as far as you do have clients in, in other places. Mm-hmm. Do you notice a difference between your Winnipeg clients and other places in in the way that they view money in the way that they talk to you treat you the way that they you know what i mean that's hard to say nothing glaring that stands out yeah i usually disarm people's ego pretty fast as well so i bring us to the same page pretty fast that's subtly not with any insults or anything more just normal human talk so um yeah we're generally known as as Winnipeggers, as cheap, as frugal, as, you know, yeah. low, low brow, a little more humble and a little more yeah, humility I think humble than the for rest. sure. You know what I do? Um, Toronto, for sure. I haven't been in Toronto probably in about seven or eight years, but um, when I was earlier in the business and really my first 10 years, I, I worked so hard. I did, I just did every single thing in my control to be successful, work so hard. I would have clients in Toronto. I would go there on the weekend and meet them and meet more friends and try to network out there and meet more people that I liked to knew I could help. And um, this was before I was, had totally removed my ego myself and I, or, you know, not completely, it's always an ongoing battle, but I, I did feel something in Toronto that I didn't, that didn't, wasn't the same as me. Hmm. Uh, Phoniness. And obviously, there's lots of lovely, wonderful people there. Yep. Um, obviously, I have tons of friends there. But I felt a fakeness that, that I don't like being fake. Yeah. And it was a sad fakeness. It was people faking because they thought they needed to fake it to get to make it. They thought, not not like how we were talking about duplicating successful right. activities. It was more of a, a personality yeah. that they had to pretend to be or a, a smoozing type of thing or knowing how to talk about their Mercedes or something. That it was just... It was repulsive to me, the fakeness, mm-hmm. and um, that the, any of them would, I'm your friend, but I will step on you to get that promotion. Right. Um, such a rat race, such a, but the culture is convinced that that's what they need to do, you know? And it was, uh, and even the, the, the restaurants seemed to have some sort of stigma or, you know, something. It was just like everything was, um, I shouldn't say everything, you know, there's distributions of, it, of all these things. But there was a fakeness where I couldn't stay there longer than like four or five days. I'm like, I need to get out. Right. So, you know, forgive them, you know, but there's, it's the hustle and bustle of a town. It's almost like a culture, I guess, right? Of, um, you know, why would people move to Toronto? Well, I'm going to be an investment banker. I got, you can't do it here. You know, that's where the big money is. That's where the big, you know, and so 
that's the only thing I did notice is is in that it was in Toronto. I noticed a little bit of um, people's people didn't feel that themselves was enough. Right. There was some inadequacy to that, and they had to. And it was like they were all trained. They were all doing the same things to be a to dis- despair from who they were to this fake person they're trying to be. It was all the same, you know, tools that they were using and um it's taught and mimicked and then mimicked more and yeah and then, and then it works and yeah. so then it's mimicked and then it worked for them and then it yeah. worked and then yeah everybody's got these great jobs and they're just a shell right and fake and probably not really happy because they were fake to how they got there you know right. yeah scary <laughs> sad what in the financial services industry do you think that you believe that goes against what you think most other financial advisors think about the industry um i would say the biggest difference i have is i think it's so important to live your life i think explain that um that there's such a focus on save 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 there's such a focus on when do you want to retire and and save everything for that and um i think that can take away from just life now and uh a lot of people maybe it's just it's just a horrible thing when somebody's safe for so long and they they don't even get to retirement and uh a lot of financial advisors i think are like that's the main priority is how much can you save or i am like you have to live so make make sure you're living mm-hmm. and can we have you living, doing all the things you love, having a fun life, and also prepare for the future? So I think I'm much different. That um, I have lots of business owners who might have multiple consultants, right? And one will say to me, like, Dan, you're the only one telling me to retire now. And I was like, well, I'm. that's what I feel is the best for you, all things encompassing. Why? Well, these other guys are saying I'm making a million a year and... I would be absolutely ridiculous to walk away from making this million a year. And I'm like, oh, you're also 64. You're not necessarily in the best health. Your kids are need you. They're at this age where they're flourishing. And, you know, and look at your financial plan. Like mm-hmm. I literally said to him, every year you work longer is just $200,000 for each of your kids more in, their, in your estate. Right. It's changing nothing. In your, that's it. Right. And like, and that's on top of this amount they're going to get already. So what is, that's what you're working for? So your kids can, you know, get 875,000 instead of 675,000. Mm-hmm. If you even want to give them all that, if we even would give them all that. I never really understood that if people were doing stuff that like, that they absolutely loved, right. Yeah, sure. And they're getting energy from it. Different. Why is anyone retiring? Like that never, yeah. Like that. That that's different you know if because i'm never retiring <laughs> yeah right whatever i'm yeah. doing i'm gonna be and this enjoying guy wasn't it. enjoying it as much anymore right right he yeah. was kind of a had a transition of the buyers buying him out and it was he wasn't nearly enjoying it like he used to when it was mm-hmm. his baby so that factors into it right if if people are loving their job then i i would say to them you, you know what does retirement look like and do you want to retire you know like or do you just want to do something else whatever it is right, right? that um it's not just saving money to just for this to you know it's um i think you have you have to live so i'm that's probably how one of the ways 
other than a lot of things we've talked about, right, where I think I think it's not just financial wellness, it's just overall wellness. Mm-hmm. And I think they are so interconnected and I just want people to be well. And financial obviously is a big part of that. Um, but yeah, you know, I never really thought about that. Other than I think, you know, my bringing spirituality, bringing overall wellness to it, being able to talk to somebody that how things just aren't just numbers on on paper. Um, but also I, I really encourage people to not just save, to live, to save up for little trips. Even if I can show them, well, we don't have enough to go on a trip every year. Well, let's take a look. You know, can we take out 15 grand for a family trip every year and put it in your financial plan? And then we can do it and I can show them. They're like, oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's still just using how finance. Can, how that. can it work? Yeah. But I think that that's. I just think it's so important. I think one life to live, you know, mm-hmm. get hit by a bus tomorrow. Um, it's sad to me that when you see people who just grind and grind and grind and grind and grind and and that's it. That's what whole life insurance is for. <laughs> yeah, flexibility. There you go. Nice you live. Nice advertising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, if you could... Um, I suppose it would be if, uh, I think it's almost the same question. Okay. If you could tell, talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you say? But also, what would you tell kids that are coming through, you know, kind of the same path as you, that either they're they're coming through business, they're either really, really smart, they're sharp, things aren't catching them as much? Yeah, I mean, we're all on our journey, and I like to believe that it's kind of all meant to be. I think that sometimes we can get off our path a little bit, but I think generally when we're sticking to our truth, when we're working, you know, on ourselves and doing the things that we know give us truth and clarity and and wellness, that it's all going to drop where it needs to be kind of thing. So I would say, you know, um, it would actually probably be the opposite. You'd think I I would say like, don't worry about it. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I would say, just keep being you. I would say you're doing the right things. Keep seeking your truth. Keep being honest with yourself. Um, you'll you'll figure it out. But when I talk to you know other people that aren't me, that are that age, I just like to challenge them with a lot of questions to help them figure who they are and what they want to do and what do they want. And do you want to be making tons of money? Do you want to be helping people? Do you like working on a team? Do you like your independence? Um, to help them just start looking within to find that ultimate truth, to, to make sure if they're going to get off that path, that they're, they're going to find their way back. Um, yeah, you know what? I don't really have any regrets. Like, I just think it's, even though I had an ego back then, I still don't regret it. Right. Cause yeah. how would I not have had an ego? Right. It's just, it's the same, same reason why I, I forgive some doctors when they, have an ego and think they know everything. I'm like, well, they're 28. They're put on a pedestal. They're Mm -hmm. smart. Mm -hmm. They're helping tons of people. Of course they're going to have an ego, you know, they put on a pedestal. So I don't hold it against them when they have an ego, you know, Mm -hmm. I like when they start to go on a journey to remove some of their ego, which is obviously hard for somebody who's, you know, been on such a high pedestal. But, um, yeah, it's still, it must sound like a broken record. It's just like finding that truth, just staying true to yourself. Um, not being afraid of change, you know, I'm definitely not being afraid of failure. Obviously we know that. 
Um, yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, it's funny because I, I try to help these students, but it's helping them. It's not looking back and helping me, right? Yeah. And um, I'm just so happy where I am that it's hard for me to want to change anything. Huh? Even though you look back and you're like, that was a waste of time. That was, But is it really, you know? And um, It created what we got. We're all on our journey. And um, I think that is one of the main journeys of life is like, I call it like finding your way home, like mm-hmm. finding your truth where you are to be, you know, whether that's for me, the full removal of ego and, you know, feeling like I'm totally connected to this divine source because of it, that um, answers any questions that I can't answer myself. And uh, I think that that's one thing I've figured out in life recently is it's, we just have to find our way back to that. So I think that's, yeah, my advice would be just keep being you. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Keep going forward. Keep being your truth. You know, I wish I could help myself a little bit more, like start meditating, you idiot. You know, eat a little healthier. Um, take care of your body before something that happens where you're forced to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wish I, that's probably what I said, like, you're putting so much trash in your mouth. <laughs> you <laughs> that's know? fair. Yeah. That's probably about the major tweak yeah. that maybe might have, might change me a bit now, you know, might be a little healthier. Um, but I think that's, that's about it. And I know that we all, we all find our way back to this truth. Sadly for some people, I think it's like on their deathbed. I think it's closer to the end that they, if ever, if ever, I think everybody finds it. Yeah. I think everybody finds their truth. Some people it's maybe that 10 seconds before death. Hmm. I think they're finding their way home. And, um, that's why I, I think like might as well be home now, you know, if we're all going to get there and, uh, you know, we're all going to, it's just similar to, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. Um, and once I totally accepted death and have no fear of it, it's just another level of life. It's another level of living. And, um, I think we're all going to find our way back to that truth. So we might as well do it now so we can just live so much better. Does that make sense? It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. This is a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, in this is, uh, I'm going to push Madison financial. Okay. Cause I think that, y- you know, you, you probably are, you can have as many clients as you want. Uh, and you get to decide how many you want, but I'm still going to push more people towards you. Um, but what's something that, and and this is my wrap up here. Okay. What is something that people, why do people fail in coming to see a financial planner? How, how does someone become not successful in doing it? <laughs> well, there's really simple stats even out there about the success of people who have some guidance versus those who don't. Hmm. Um, so I think it's just like anything, it's hard to accept that you might need help. Um, sometimes it's hard to accept that you're going to have to start doing accountable things and being honest with your finances. Right. Sometimes that's, um, it's a hard truth to swallow with some people or, you know, I, maybe you don't want to actually do a budget because you prefer going and 
blowing all your cash doing fun things. So I think there's a certain pill to swallow of accepting some help, <laughs> you know? Um, and sometimes that can be hard for people. And then the flip side is they know that they're probably, they might be told to some, have to do some things they don't necessarily like. Mm-hmm. I hope it isn't that way, right? Like you hope when you're helping someone with their finances that it's just sort of some management of the puzzle that nothing has to be asked too much of them that they aren't ready for. Mm-hmm. But certainly um, that's probably something that holds people back a little bit. Um, maybe ego a little bit. Sadly, um, a lot of the our awareness or education on, you know, what is financial planning? How can it help me is through the TV these days. And a lot of it is, you know, like quest trade and all this stuff, like to do it yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you pay less fees. Mm-hmm. Build your own home. That, that you build your own home. <laughs> you can do yeah. it yourself. Be a Google doctor. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> represent yourself in court. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's um. There's, I I think that's an absolute crime with those. You know that. Hey, you can invest on your own, and you get thirty percent more. Assuming you've chosen the right investments, mm-hmm. assuming you've adjusted the plan, assuming it makes sense for your risk level, assuming those investments don't change, you know, assuming assuming it lands on red, assuming you're gonna yeah you're gonna save thirty percent of this if you get these same same returns, right? Yeah, which and you know the what a great way to trick people by just getting this one thing you know can get them on is way cheaper. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um. Look at the money you're going to save. But they didn't talk about 40 other things that might be involved in that That's right. success, right? They just point pinpoint this. So um, they're actually kind of, I believe, help putting people in the wrong direction in terms of financial success because they're allowing everybody to think that you couldn't do, can do this on their own. And I think there's a, a portion of this, some of the stuff you can do on your own. Yep. You know, There are some access to some ETFs and index funds, and there's a, a portion for all that in your portfolio that you can do it yourself with a little fee. Yep. I'm all for that, but I don't think all inclusively um, you even have a, a hope doing it on your own. And that's coming from somebody with no ego as well, right? I know how much I can help. Um, it's just clarity and peace of mind, you know, that, yeah, you are doing the right things. Um, but to, to that, you know, the, that's all that people are seeing is I can just do this on my own on my phone. Mm-hmm. That's much easier than going to see this person or do I even have to pay that up, you know, and um so I think that's extremely misleading. You know, I, it's fees are just one small part. Right. And uh, way more important is returns after fees. Right. You can look at some of the best real estate investment trusts or real estate funds in the world have ridiculous fees. Might have a fee for 3.5%. Mm-hmm. And if you just looked at that, You'd be like, who would ever invest in real estate? It's so expensive. Yeah. But yet people will say real estate is such a good investment. Well, it's expensive though. So I thought you wanted to save fees. I thought fees are the most important thing to you. So then you don't believe in real estate. No, well, you know, but so some of the best real estate funds in the world have an MER of like 3.5%. When if you do like a ETF on your phone, on your own, it can be like 0.4% or something, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But the returns after fees are remarkable right. and consistent and predictable and a great tool and that has negative correlation to so many other assets, which gives you 
diversification and downside protection. Right. But the fees, you know, like I would pay 3.5% if I could make 20% every year. I'm not saying that's what it is, right? But it's such a yep. it's such a dupe on the people. Look at the big picture. It's such a duping people that save fees. Right. Save fees to sacrifice my whole financial success, you know? Yeah. Um, but they're good at tricking people, right? It's the barrage. It's the, you know, the, they have the commercials that are just perfect with the, the creepiest financial advisor you've ever seen. Like you wouldn't trust this guy for a second with anybody you care about. Mm -hmm. You know, well, the mutual fund, it's going to come back. You, you got to stick for it in the long run. And, you know, like, are you still investing with dad's guy? <laughs> like, they're so good. They are so good at it, right? So that's unfortunate because there's probably been a lot of progress that have helped people to realize that to delegate a little bit of some help in these areas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then you got the whole media and the TV saying, no, don't do it. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, everybody's on their own journey. Everybody's on their own investment journey. Mm -hmm. I have lots of clients who have gone and said, Danny, I can do this on my own. I said, here's the pros, here's the risks, here's the benefits. I'll see you in a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. And you <laughs> and usually do. Usually yeah. do. Yeah. Right. And they go on their little journey and they get humbled. And yeah. they, you know, and yeah. usually when the markets are going up, everybody's brilliant, you know, mm -hmm. and when the markets are going up and they're doing it on their own, yeah. they're just like, Oh, look what I know, Dan, you know, like I don't even need Dan, you know? And yeah, you don't, when the markets are going up and things are predictable. It's um, nice of you to not put my name in this story. <laughs> it's very yeah. kind of you. <laughs> So, I mean, you have a great diversification of your assets. Um, so it's, then they, they, they come back home, you know, they, mm -hmm. they realize they've, that there is some value in either, um, delegating it to somebody else's expertise or just to using their time for something else right? that is more beneficial or peaceful or suited to their daily life, you know? And, um, it's not saying I don't think people should educate themselves if they're interested. Go for it. I think that's amazing. Yep. You know, that's what I did. I've I educate myself nonstop for the past 20 years to, so I can help people yep. and uh, not just financially. Well, I think that it's, it's kind of the same. It's, it's my, it's the way that I approach being a builder and, and it's how I actually want people to view financial services is that, it's not only about what the person knows, but it's also about who the person is. Yeah. Um, and so I think that people have been able to hear a lot about you, learn more about you. Uh, I trust you with my money. And, <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. you know, there's, yeah, I, I you just, see, you see souls, you see truth. So I appreciate that you trust me. Well, <laughs> I, I appreciate you coming on. I think that um, I really, I, I'm honored to know you. I'm honored to, uh, be you sharing your journey with me um on and off the podcast um i think that anyone who's able to work with you is is has a massive asset in their life um really to be nice able to to be able to trust somebody that they know uh it, it has their best interest in at, at heart is definitely huge in financial services it's a nice relationship to be in when it's like that for, yeah for all parties yeah yeah how do people get a hold of you? What's the best way? Um, I guess they could they could probably just email me. Just yeah. Dan at madisonfinancial.ca. Uh, probably be the best way these days to contact me and 
I'd love to help. Beautiful. I'd love to talk. I'd be willing to just talk about life. Yeah. Doesn't have to be finance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like Tell it. Tell me what you How are you feeling today? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure. What have you learned today? Yeah. 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 Why are you restless today and versus yesterday? Yeah. Anything. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I love working with people who are in that same mindset and um, who who want some help and uh, <clears throat> value are able to see the value of the help provided. Mm-hmm. It's uh, really, that's kind of the only relationship I, I want to be in. So I like to kind of figure out first, like, can I help you? Yeah. Can I add some value, whether it's perceived or real? Yeah. And uh, if I can't, here's some tips. And if I can, maybe let's talk further. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being here. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome for having back. me. You're welcome Thanks back. for being gentle my Anytime. first time. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Dan Nord, Madison Financial, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me, buddy. Bye-bye.